David Foster Wallace opens his brilliant Kenyan commencement address with a story about two young fish who are swimming along when an older fish swims by and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And then the two young fish swim on for a bit, and eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? Wallace goes on to talk about the meaning of thinking, or really the opportunity to think, if you so choose, about the world we live in, and that much of the thinking we do is an automatic default that places us at the very center of the universe and places our needs above all others and our frustrations first and orders the world's calamities in such a way as to match up with our own priorities. He writes... In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it J.C. or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about all of these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into, day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. The choice of how we want to live with one another is always present, if we are conscious, if we make the attempt to be intentional about our thinking. The income inequality, the endless war, the environmental degradation are not about bad structures. They are not about a few bad people. They are derivative of unintentional, unconscious thinking. Contemplation, meditation, and prayer are the vehicles that help us counter this behavior. But simple self-reflection is not enough. Thomas Merton writes, Nothing could be more alien to contemplation than the cogito ergo sum of Descartes. I think, therefore I am. This is the declaration of an alienated being in exile from his own spiritual depths, compelled to seek some comfort in a proof for his own existence based on the observation that he thinks. 
he is reducing himself to a concept. He is making it impossible for himself to experience, directly and immediately, the mystery of his own being. At the same time, by also reducing God to a concept, he makes it impossible for himself to have any intuition of the divine reality which is inexpressible. Now perhaps Descartes carries more blame than he should. Certainly the idea of alienation is not new. We might read the Genesis story of Adam and Eve as a myth about the creation of humankind, but really it is a story about the alienation we feel. The way the story is written, God is angry with us. But this is just the perspective of the authors of the story. What you think about God really says more about you than it says about God. God is not a what. God is not a thing. There is no this is that can be called God. God is immaterial. But the water we swim in, that which we don't even recognize all around us, is material. We objectify everything. We objectify ourselves. We objectify God. And we become prisoners of our own thinking. Elsewhere, Merton writes, The will that is the captive of its own desire cannot accept the seeds of an unfamiliar truth and its supernatural desire. For how can I receive the seeds of freedom if I am in love with slavery? And how can I cherish the desire of God if I am filled with another and opposite desire? God cannot plant liberty in me because I am a prisoner, and I do not even desire to be free. I love my captivity and imprison myself in the desire for the things that I hate. I have seen this in my own life. There have been times when I was ruled by ambition. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be important. In the world of individuals, I wanted to stand out. I am, because someone knows my name. I thought this would make my life matter, but it never did. What matters is making the choice not to live an unconscious life that by default puts me at the center of the universe. What matters is what I worship, because I will be worshiping something whether I think I am or not. What matters is making room for the seeds of freedom in my life so my sense of connection with creation can grow and blossom. My path includes exploring that interior invitation from God that comes to me through practice and prayer and singing and dancing and being with you, where my desire to measure the limits and acreage of God's existence slips away, and I just experienced this life. Our purpose is to live in concert with creation. It is to stand in the sunshine of our true self and to witness our true face in the waterfall and in the flower and in the bird song and in the person sitting next to us. The hidden treasure that lives within you has no material expression. That treasure is simply a lived life. It is curious as to why it is so hard to listen to our own lives 
and why it seems so desirable to want to live someone else's life or a life defined for us by TV. But the spiritual life is to let go of the material and to see what magic is waiting for us. This is worship not of some external God separate and distant, but rather the creative force that is calling out to us, calling out from within us to live our lives. The culture moves according to the thought of the people. Right now, we live in an unconscious culture that is unsatisfied with what it worships. That is why we do not have enough. That is why we will never have enough, be it money or sex or safety. Regardless of how much we clamor that we are the very center of the universe, it is not so. This is the myopia of the worship of individualism. And as uncool as it might sound, it is only a spiritual awakening that will challenge that. Too bad that so many of us have made an object of God as well. There will never be enough God so long as it is a he, so long as it is an it. We have been carried away by unconscious thinking, but we have the choice as to whether we remain slaves to this thinking or to worship that creation we are a part of. There is an invitation to wholeness coming through us. May we choose into that wholeness. Thank you for listening to this meditation. You can find a written version of it on my website at ianwhitemar.com slash meditations. Who are the people in your life who would really enjoy and benefit from this meditation? Pick one and send them a link. Maybe start a conversation with them. What would it mean to live in concert with creation what would a spiritual life look like if we were not at the center of it all? The spiritual journey isn't something we need to do on our own. We are meant to travel the path with partners. I hope you'll join me again next week.